I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll remind you that last Sunday we started with this guy, the Fonz. And uh, we quoted Fonzarelli extensively last week. And that mainly is one word, A. That's it, right? And uh, a couple of you showed appreciation for the fact that I was able to manage to work in Potsy and Ralph Mouth at the end of the sermon last Sunday. Uh, I tried all week to work in Lenny and Squiggy just because it's fun to say Lenny and Squiggy, but it, it didn't make it uh, uh, into the cut. But this was last week, okay? Today, this Sunday, we're going to start with this guy. This guy is Mark Twain. And one of his most memorable quotes, and he's got a bunch of them, is this. Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Last Sunday, we looked at this beautiful passage at the beginning of Philippians 2, and, and the, the question was asked, you know, how do we consider ourselves or consider others better than ourselves? How do we look to the interest of others? How do we do all things not out of selfish ambition, not out of vain conceit? What does it mean to, to live this way? And then Paul gives us this real, live, walking, talking, in color, flesh and blood example. He gives us the model in Jesus Christ. Humility, sacrifice, and service is Jesus. To live the way God calls us to live is to follow the example of Jesus. Remember? And that means two things. One, give up everything. And two, die for others. That's the example of Jesus. And the language is so beautiful, and the imagery painted by Paul is so powerful. Christ Jesus made himself nothing. Wow. He became a slave. That's amazing. Jesus humbled himself, and he died. He even died on a cross. That is inspiring. And we run out of here with, with this picture of Jesus. We, we run out of here understanding that, that Jesus willingly left the glory he shared at the right hand of the Father. He, he gave up everything to die for others. And, and we run out of here and we say, man, I'm going to live that way. We're inspired. I want to live just like Jesus. Humility, sacrifice, and service, that's me from now on. Starting right now, it's none of self, all of thee. I'm going to consider the needs of others more important than my own. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. And we run out of here until we get out into that hallway about right there. Or until we get to our car in the parking lot. Or until we're standing in line at Rosa's or we're sitting down at La Bodega. Or until we get to work on Monday. Or until we find ourselves on the Odessa Highway going from three lanes down to one. You know what I'm talking about? And suddenly my needs matter a lot. Suddenly what I want is very, very important. My hopes, my wishes, what I think I need suddenly takes top priority. And you realize instantly because it happens so fast, you realize I'm not Jesus. I am not my Lord. And you can become annoyed at the perfect example 
of Jesus. Because while his sinless and sacrificial life inspires us, his example alone does not empower us. And we experience this frustration in other areas. We, we understand how this works, right? Um, for the past couple of months, I watched, almost every night, I watched every single Dallas Mavericks playoff basketball game there was. And I love it, you know? You've got Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson, and they're playing against Donovan Mitchell and Corey Booker and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the great Steph Curry, you know, all these guys, right? Draymond Green. These are the best basketball players on the planet. And they're all playing against each other with a trophy on the line, you know? And it's on my TV in my living room every single night. And I'm watching these greatest basketball players in the world running up and down the court. And I'm sitting there and it inspires me. And I think, well, I can do this. I can do this. You know, I used to play basketball every Thursday night. I need to do that again. It would, it would be good for me to start playing pickup basketball on Thursday nights again. In fact, I'm going to do that this Thursday night. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do what I used to do. And I'm watching Luka Doncic on TV, right? Every night. And I'm like, when I get to the gym Thursday night, I'm going to find a group of guys to play basketball with and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to run harder, and I'm going to see the court so much better, and I'm going to make perfect passes, and I'm going to make perfect shots, and I'm going to hustle extra hard and grab every rebound, and I'm going to make that spin move to the basket. And I'm inspired until I get to the gym Thursday night. And I'm on the floor, and I realize in about one and a half seconds that I can't run, I can't dribble, I can't shoot. I can't grab a rebound, and I haven't even attempted any kind of a spin move since 1987. I can't play basketball. Why doesn't that work? Why is it? I'm watching Luka Doncic every night. I'm watching him. I'm studying him. I'm reading about him. I'm talking about him. Why can't I play basketball like Luka Doncic? Because just watching and studying and talking about Luka Doncic does not raise my height by six inches or cause me to lose 25 pounds or add four feet to my vertical leap. You hear what I'm saying? The only way I'm ever going to be able to play basketball like Luka Doncic is if Luka Doncic somehow miraculously jumps inside my body. And we look at Jesus. We look at our Lord Jesus Christ and we watch him turn the other cheek and we watch him go the extra mile and we watch Jesus return good for evil and we watch him teach the ones who insult him and we watch him love the ones who betray him and forgive the ones who kill him. We watch Jesus give up everything and die for the sake of others, even death on a cross. Well, there's no way. There's no way I can imitate that. The only way I can ever attempt to live like Jesus is if somehow God miraculously jumps inside my body. Which brings us to our text this morning. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. 
Paul gives us the divine pattern of Jesus. And then he reminds us of the divine power of God's Holy Spirit. God himself does live inside me. God dwells inside me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives inside me. And so this is not so much about imitation as it is about incarnation. God in me, right? God working in me. God giving me the desire to live righteously and also the power to do it. Listen, God never demands anything out of you that he also doesn't give you the power to accomplish. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, which is what? What's the point? If we've already been justified, if we've already been forgiven, if we've already been saved, if we've already been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, why do we need to work so hard? Why does God want us to obey, like it says in verse 12? What is God's good purpose? Why does he call us to love and to think and to act and to speak like his son, Jesus Christ. What's the point? So we can get to heaven? No. No. The way you act has nothing to do with you getting into heaven. Can I get an amen on that? That is well established, right? I mean, in here and in here. That's a fact. And so what, what is God's good purpose? What, what is the whole point? While we're here on this earth in Midland, Texas, what, what is it that God wants to do with the last... 25 years that I have left to live on this earth. Young people, what, what is God's goal for you for the next 65, 70 years you've got left on this earth? Older people, maybe you've only got four or five years left. What does God want to do with that four or five years? Is this about you getting to heaven? No. No. Well, if it's not, what's the point? Look at verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Here in Midland, it's not like living in Fort Worth or Dallas or Austin, or anywhere else we've lived, really. Here in Midland, you go outside at night, and you take the kids with you, and you say, look up in the sky. What do you see? And they say, stars. I see stars. Oh, my word. Look at all the stars. That's a lot of stars. That happens here every night. What they're looking at, really, 99% of it is dark, black, unfathomable abyss. But what they see are the stars. There's such a contrast. There's such a, a difference, right? They're looking at the black, dark abyss, but their attention is drawn to the stars. 
Brothers and sisters, when the world looks out at the dark, black, deep, unfathomable abyss of humanity and this world, what they need to see, what they need their attention drawn to are peace and joy-filled followers of Jesus Christ who are shining examples of the glory and the grace of God's word of life. Amen? That's us. That, to me, sounds like, according to Paul, that's the whole point. So, so how do we do that? How, how do we shine like stars in the universe? Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's not really what I would expect out of Paul. James, yes. Maybe Peter. Not Paul. Do everything without complaining or arguing. You know, with Paul, I'm looking for some deep theology here. You know? I'm looking for some really rich Christology. Give me some complicated language, Paul. Give me a, a complex, you know, argument and, and some rhetoric here. What, what does this mean? Paul just gives us a very simple, very practical little instruction. Do everything without complaining or arguing. God's purposes for you. What God is working in you. What transforms you into a blameless and pure child of God? What allows you to shine like stars in the universe? This is God's purpose for you, and it all starts with do everything without complaining or arguing. All right. I want everybody in this room to just take a deep breath with me, okay? We've got to be confronted with this, okay? We've, we've got to deal with this, all of us. There's nobody immune to this, okay? Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Literally, the word here is do all things. The word is panta in the Greek. It means everything, all things, all of it, um, every bit of it, total, complete, right? No matter how you translate this word, there's not one part of your life that's not covered here, okay? And most of us, I think, are pretty good at doing most things without complaining or arguing. Now, let's face it. Some of us, we can't do anything without complaining or arguing, right? Some of us, we're not happy unless we're complaining or arguing, right? We know these people. If you're one of these people, we're going to give you just a second. We're not going to look at you. We're going to keep our heads down. We're going to allow you to read silently to yourself verse 14 again, okay? Let's do that. We'll give you a chance, okay? Do everything without complaining or arguing. And Paul uses this crooked and depraved generation language here, which, which automatically takes these Christians back to Deuteronomy 32. These exact same words are used in the Old Testament to describe Israel when they were complaining and arguing. Deuteronomy 32 says, They have acted corruptly toward the Lord. To their shame, they're no longer his children. They're a warped and crooked generation. God chose Israel. God saved Israel. God commissioned Israel to take his love and his salvation to all of the earth, to the whole planet, right? You're going to be a light to the Gentiles. You're going to be a shining beacon to the nations of the earth. And Paul's just connecting the dots here. He says, hey, that's us. We're Israel. 
God's church today stands in continuity with Israel. Israel's mission to the planet is the church's mission to the planet. And so be a light. That's what Paul is saying. Shine like stars. Be a lamp. Take God's grace and mercy to every corner of the world. And he ties this grumbling and complaining in verse 14 directly to our salvation and our ability to fulfill his purpose. He says, if we're complaining and arguing, we're not being lights. Again, I think we're pretty good at doing most things without complaining and arguing. But what about everything? Several years ago, I was, I was standing right next to an elder in the Lord's church as he ordered his lunch at Whataburger. Now, you don't, I know it's a big shock that I was at Whataburger with this guy. You don't know this guy. He doesn't live in West Texas. He's never even been to West Texas. You don't know this guy. This was a long time ago, a long way from here, okay? But I'm standing next to him as he orders his lunch at Whataburger. And this is how he does it. An elder in the church, he says, I want the number one meal with extra mustard, no onions. And the lady behind the counter says, do you want everything on it? He says, yes, that's what I said. I want extra mustard and no onions. She said, do you want cheese on that? He said, no, I didn't say cheese. <sighs> okay, you've met guys like this, right? She gives him the burger, we sit down, we're eating. He found it. He, about three bites in, he found it. It's this little onion. It's about as big as the fingernail on your pinky. I don't know how he found it. Sure enough, he opened up his burger. There's like three of these little pieces of onion, like they had accidentally got scooped into the lettuce or something. I don't know how they got inside his burger, but there they are. And he's ticked. He's hacked. He wads it up in the wrapper and he takes it up to the counter and we're watching this. And he says to the same lady, what does that sticker say? She said, no onions? And he goes, what are these? Shoves the burger in her face. Now, I didn't say it at the time because there were seven or eight other guys with us and because I'm gutless. <laughs> but I'm thinking, what if this lady shows up at your church Sunday morning and you're the guy who greets her at the front door? This Whataburger is about two miles from this guy's house. It's about five minutes away from their church building. What happens if this lady shows up at church on Sunday and you're teaching her Bible class or you're leading a prayer? What are you going to say to her? What in the world are you going to say? You can't shine like a star if you're complaining or arguing at the restaurant, at the post office, at the customer service counter, at the bank, wherever you are. What happens if the people you're complaining against or about or to, what happens if they walk in here and sit right next to you on your pew in this room next Sunday morning? What are you going to say to them? You'll have nothing to say to them. It doesn't matter if you do because they're not listening. Not anymore. You have no credibility. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have no witness with them. Church, this is more than a motto, okay? This is so important for us to hear because here's the deal. Here's, here's where, where I'm coming down on this. 
if you claim to be a child of the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, if you claim to be a subject of the eternal Lord who defeated sin and death and who reigns in ultimate power today and forever at the right hand of God, if you claim to be a citizen of heaven, if you claim to belong to the kingdom that cannot be shaken, you're claiming that you belong to a God who promises to provide and protect, but if you complain and argue, what you're communicating to the world is that you don't believe a word of it. Your behavior contradicts your beliefs. You're living like your beliefs don't really matter, like they have no impact on your life. And so here's the question as I've come to phrase it. How does your belief system, okay, hear me on this. We've all got to answer this. How does your belief system, how does your faith in Jesus Christ, how does your citizenship in his kingdom, how does your allegiance to the Lord Almighty, how does that answer all of the eternal and universal questions for all time? How is that the answer? How is that the solution for all of the sin and the death and suffering in this world when it won't even work at Whataburger? Seriously, it wrecks your testimony. Now, what about complaining and arguing in here? We've got to address that too. The world says the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And sometimes church leaders can perpetuate that kind of thinking and behaving in the Lord's body. Church positions should never be formed. Church decisions should never be made based on who might or who might not complain. We should never back away from the Spirit's leading. We should never hesitate from the teachings of Scripture because somebody might or might not complain. Why would we ever want to reward or validate complaining? Every decision we make and every position we take as a church should be based on one thing and one thing only. What is God's purpose for us? His purpose is twofold. That whatever position we take and whatever decision we make makes us more like Jesus Christ. And secondly, allows us to love others better. That's it. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen from eight elders in the room right now? Can we just kind of in front of everybody say, yeah, that's the deal? Amen? I'll take that. Some of us equate seriousness and sullenness with spirituality. Some of us measure Christian maturity based on how many arguments you win or how many complaints you file. And that is so opposite of a Christ-centered, spirit-led relationship with our God. So opposite. Complaining and arguing. Brothers and sisters, we got to start taking this as seriously as the Bible does. Philippians 2 says, holding out the very word of life is at stake here. Shining as pure and uncontaminated light givers in this dark, dark world. That's what's at stake. Becoming children of God without fault, especially as the world sees us. Living free from anything blameworthy. Credible witnesses in a world that so desperately needs our crucified and resurrected Lord. Okay, preacher. So is this how we work for our salvation? 
No. Paul doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. He says work out your salvation. This is so important. Work it out. Make it practical. Make it real. Demonstrate it. Right? That's what this means. This, this new life you have in Christ, this new relationship you have with God, all this forgiveness, all this grace, appropriate it. Make it real. Use it. Right? When you're standing next to the casket of a loved one and when Best Buy messes up delivery of your dishwasher. Use it. Demonstrate it. Make it real. I think it's like working a diamond mine. You know? You're going to do everything you can in that mine to get every little piece of dust of gem out of that mine. It's like, it's like working a wheat field, you know. You're going to do everything you can to get every grain of wheat out of that harvest possible. It's like working that piece of apple pie in your plate at the July 4th cookout, you know. You're going to scoop and scrape and dig and lick and do everything you can to get every possible crumb off that plate and into your mouth. That's, that's the picture here, I think. God's purpose for his people, God's purpose for you is that you become like his son. You become like our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is the one working in you like you're the diamond mine. You're the, you're the, the wheat field, right? And he's working inside you to get every single thing out of the great potential of your life. Listen to how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. God's Holy Spirit is inside you, shaping your image, changing your soul, renewing your mind, so that you'll more and more decide to do what God wants you to do according to his good purpose. And so, yes, we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we consider the needs of others more important than our own. Yes, we vow to do nothing ever out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But even then, we can't take any credit for it. We have no claims here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in you to will and to act according to his great purpose. Stand with me, church. Everybody stand. Let me tell you what the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. That's not what this is this morning. It's not God helps those who help themselves. This is very clearly God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who can't do a crying thing for themselves. The Bible is very clear that God helps the powerless. God helps the helpless. God helps those, what does the Bible say? When you were dead in your transgressions, when you were God's enemies, when you were dead, yeah, not when you were asleep, not when you were tired, not when you were in a coma, not when you were sick, when you were dead. You can't do anything when you're dead. That's when God saves you. That's when Jesus Christ dies on the cross to reconcile you back to him and back to everybody you know. That's what salvation is. It's God's. It's God's victory. 
but he gives it to you. It's God's salvation. It's God's joy. It's God's peace, but he gives it to you. And I would ask you this morning, have you given yourself to God? I'm going to ask all of our elders and our ministers and their spouses, would y'all just kind of step out of the aisles where you are and just make yourself available? I'd like to, as we sing this next song, to give you an opportunity for prayer, for conversation. If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you could join those four sisters, those four brand new sisters in Christ today. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized to receive the salvation and the transformation that God has in store for you today. Or if you just want somebody to pray with, if you just want somebody to remind you, would you just tell me that I'm loved by God and that I belong to him, that he is at work in my life? Sometimes we just need somebody to remind us of that. God's at work in your life. He's doing something else you wouldn't be here this morning. If we can serve you in any way, if we can pray with you, if we can talk with you, if we can just remind you that you're loved, would you just grab one of us as we sing this song together?